This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. 1 John is a book in the New Testament that's an intriguing book about getting down to the basics. It's a book of contrasts. And in each of these chapters that we look at, we're going to look at one of those contrasts that John talks about. Light and darkness, God and the world, love and hate, truth and deception, life and death. I hope you really uh, spend some time each day going through Pray, Study, Grow, that devotional guide that's given to you each week, and you look at the richness and the depthness of what John is writing about in these themes. Now, I want to point out that uh, 1 John is near the end of the New Testament. Some of our books are not in chronological order in terms of the New Testament, but 1 John is near the end of the book, and it's also one of those books that was written probably near the end of the first century, near the end of all the books that we have written in the Bible. We don't know for certain who wrote 1 John. Tradition says that it was the Apostle John. It certainly comes out of the lineage of the Gospel of John and 1 and 2 and 3 John, carries a lot of the same themes and certainly the same richness and theology and understanding, as well as writing the vision of Revelation. What we do know is this, that whoever writes these words in this letter in the New Testament is someone with a deep sense of authority that comes from a knowledge and a personal walk with God. This is someone that's an elder in the church, someone that's been recognized as as one of the originals, one of the original disciples with Jesus. And he wants us to know that the stories, as he writes to these second and third generation people that never walked with Jesus on the earth, he wants them to know, he wants us to know that the stories are real. There was a movie that came out about 10 years ago, Secondhand Lions. It's one of my favorites. And uh, it's a story about this 14-year-old kid that comes to live with his eccentric great-uncles. He comes from a very disruptive family, and he's just kind of dumped off at this Texas ranch to live with these two old crazy codgers. And in the midst of the whole process, he falls in love with those uncles, and those uncles fall in love with him. And his uncles have got some really crazy stories. And so we're going to watch this brief scene of the kid that's asking one of the uncles, are the stories true? Let's watch. Those stories about Africa, about you, they're true, aren't they? Doesn't matter. It does, too. Around my mom, all I hear is lies. I don't know what to believe in. Damn, if you want to believe in something, then believe in it. Just because something isn't true, that's no reason you can't believe it. <laughs> the long speech I give the young man sounds like you need to hear a piece of it. It's peace. Sometimes, the things that may or may not be true are the things that a man needs to believe in the most. That people are basically good. That honor, courage, and virtue mean everything. That power and money, money and power mean nothing. That good always triumphs over evil. And 
I want you to remember this, that love True love never dies. You remember that boy. You remember that. Doesn't matter if it's true or not, you see. A man should believe in those things because those are the things worth believing in. I visualize the elder who writes 1 John to speak these words with great passion and conviction. That he wants us to know that we can believe this. Look at these words with me together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John is saying to us, this Jesus yeah, he's real. All those stories you've heard about, they really happened. I saw him with my own eyes. I felt him with my own hands. I heard him with my own ears. And what I know and what I fellowship about with Jesus, I want you to know that you can have that same relationship with God. It's true. It's real. Last uh, weekend, I went to see uh, my mother, who's uh, no longer really with us in a conversational kind of a way. She didn't really uh, know me. But as I'm sitting there uh, with her, I'm, I'm thinking about singing a familiar song with her, and. Uh, so I asked mom do you know in the garden we started singing in the garden and by the third word she was there and she just sang the words verbatim then I said to her as you know she suffers from dementia isn't heaven going to be a wonderful place and she said oh yes to see all our family and friends and for a moment it was like she was home you see we can't go home again I can't go home again. My dad's gone. My mom's not really with me. Uh, I can go visit my brother, but the house that I grew up in isn't there anymore. The school's gone. The church is closed. The people that I've loved and loved me are pretty well gone. But you know what? There was one place I went home last week. I was out visiting six cemeteries with my Aunt Betty. <laughs> Seemed like 16 cemeteries. But one place we went to was the Mock Bridge. The Mock Bridge is an old condemned bridge over the Sheraton River. You couldn't drive over it for 30 or 40 years because it wasn't safe, but they restored it where it's a walking bridge. And I was out walking on that bridge, and as I was walking on that bridge, I, I, I remembered that it wasn't far from this place where I was baptized. 
As a 17-year-old kid in the Sheraton River, I was immersed near that spot. And I felt very nostalgic. And in a sense then, while I can't go back physically to a place, I can't go home again, I went home. I went home spiritually. I went home to my childhood. I went home to that place where I professed the faith and I claim the basic profound truths that I know to be true even yet today in Jesus. As the word nostalgia means to return or to go home. And what John is inviting us to do, friends, is to get a little nostalgic in the sense of returning to that place if you are a believer Go back to that place. Go back to that moment. Go back to that time. And embrace it. And find yourself centered in there again. The scripture continues in verse 5. That this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Some people say we live in a very black and white world and we need more gray. Some people say, well, we live in a very gray world and we could use a little bit more black and white. One of the things that John brings home to us is that there are still some things that are black and white. God. He wants us to get this. God is light. God is pure light. God is completely true. God is completely loving. God is completely good. God is light. Darkness is sin. Darkness is not something that is good. And you and I choose between walking in light, walking in fellowship with God, or walking in confusion and brokenness, walking in the darkness. And then for the next four verses, as we go through this chapter together, he talks a lot about the word sin. So let's talk about sin just for a moment. In the scriptures, we have descriptions of sin. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that these first two descriptions are from Romans 7. The first saying, sin is knowing to do right and not doing it. Okay, you know you're supposed to do something, and you don't, you don't do it. <laughs> or, sin is knowing not to do something, and you keep on doing it anyway. You know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one in this room that has his problems? Sin also, according to Jesus, this is out of the Gospel of John, sin is Choosing not to believe in Jesus Christ as God's Son. Feeling that conviction. Yes, He is Jesus. He is Lord. I need to give my life to Him. And not doing it. Rejecting that. When you know that is sin. And First John says elsewhere, sin is lawlessness. It's, it's this idea that, hey, you know what? I can do whatever I want to do. Whenever I want to do it, and it doesn't matter who gets hurt in the matter. I'm not accountable to anyone. It's that sense of 
lawlessness. There are no laws. There's no rules that apply to me. The sin essentially is missing the mark. That's what the Greek word means, missing the mark. It's kind of like a bullseye. Can I have a, someone that, to uh, just uh, hold this for me, volunteer? Thank you. You are the man. You might want to put it right in front of your face. I'm not kidding. <laughs> now, missing the mark is simply, you know, you're aiming, taking aim, and you're... <laughs> it's funny. It's funny for me. And you shoot for the bullseye. You aim. Just keep your face. Yeah. There we go. Pretty close. And you keep aiming and keep aiming, you know, and sometimes... You, you just miss the whole thing completely. Way off. You miss the mark. Thank you. You're a brave man. Uh, uh, the Scriptures teaches us that we have all missed the bullseye. We all miss the mark. We all mess up. And it's much more serious than throwing darts. Now, this is what we can do in terms of relationship with God about people who know sin all too well. Let's look at these next four verses together. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word is not in us. See, this great contrast that John is providing for us of God and sin, light, and darkness. Now, think about where you are in your relationship with God right now. In verse 10, the farthest from God are those who say, I've never sinned. They're the ones that are not only missing the mark, they miss the dartboard completely. There are people who say, I don't, I don't mess up. I don't need God. I don't need a Savior. I don't need forgiveness. I can do this all on my own. That attitude, that thinking, represents those who are farthest from God. But verse 9 tells us that if we want to come to God, if we confess our sins, God is faithful, God is good to cleanse us of our sins. Or in verse 8, we may be walking from God. Perhaps you're a believer. You've known God. You've come to God. But somewhere along the way, you got off track. You walked away from God. Somebody asked me, do Methodists believe in backsliding? I say, we not only believe in it, we practice it. It's, it's this idea of we just compromise. We were once in the light. We were once in this wonderful relationship with God. And somehow, we've walked away from it. That's one, one place we can be. But verse 7 is the place to be. This is the sweet spot of walking with God. 
that says we have fellowship. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. When I was working on this message in my room at home, it was like for, for just for a brief while, this light came dazzling, dancing through the window. And then about 10 seconds later, it became very dim as the sun be, uh, went underneath the clouds. And then for another 10 seconds, it was just dazzling light in my room and then it became dim again and light again for about a minute. It was just someone up there was just playing with the blinds. And I was thinking, isn't that the way that so often we live? Sometimes I, we live in light and truth and, and we're in this place and sometimes we find ourselves in darkness and we, we've, we've done something to compromise ourselves. We've gotten away from God and then we come back to the light. And what John wants us to say is, for us to know is, we can have it. We can have this wonderful, amazing relationship with God. We can walk in truth and light and love. Why would you ever want to compromise that? Why would you ever want just a little bit of that? Live in the fullness of what God has to offer. Because God is light. And there's no darkness in Him. But people sometimes prefer the darkness. Because their deeds, their actions are evil. Or because sometimes, you know, this darkness, this addiction, these thoughts, these actions, they just got a hold of me. And I just can't seem to shake it loose. And the wonderful thing about God is that God doesn't leave us alone in that. But God has come to redeem us. There's a biblical word called redemption. I love the way Hugh Halter simplifies the definition when he says it simply means to buy back. God has come to redeem us, to buy us back, to restore us into his image, into his likeness. We've all missed the dartboard, but other than, rather than you laughing at me, God doesn't laugh when we miss the board. But God comes to us in Jesus to restore us and to bring us back to him. Someone has described it this way. Hugh Halter describes it this way. It's kind of like parents who adopt children. You know, I'm very moved by people in this room and other people that I've known that are adoptive parents, domestically or internationally. And you've gone to a lot of trouble. And you've gone to a lot of personal uh, expense to, to get a child to buy back the child from a life that, where he or she doesn't have love or doesn't have a home. And sometimes that love is, is accepted and they come fully into the family. But also there are times when it doesn't work out as well because the child was not bonded to anyone as a baby, or they were abused. 
They just can't come to bring themselves to believe that they can trust in anyone because they've had so many people that's violated that trust. And if you're one of those parents that have reached out and known something about that rejection, or you're a child that's been claimed by some special people, you understand something about the gospel. You understand something very rich and deep about the heart of God. Because God has come to send his only son, Jesus, the only begotten one, to this foreign country called Earth to claim us for himself, to buy us back into the family, to redeem us from the grip and the power of sin. And so John the Elder writes in the first two verses of the second chapter, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Looking at that verse just for a moment. I've heard many people teach it in this way or heard this view expressed. Jesus is like the attorney the defense attorney that stands as an advocate in our place. And the father is the angry judge that has to be convinced against his will because Jesus is the attorney arguing our case. But I think a better, clearer picture of the gospel is that, folks, the son and the father are in cahoots with each other. The Son is an advocate with the Father. And they have come to this earth to restore us and reclaim us. And so Jesus, the advocate, lives the sinless life, the perfect life. He puts skin in the game. And he offers himself to us. And sometimes because of past experiences or things that have happened to us, we have difficulty accepting it and believing it and claiming it. And we might lash out at God or reject it. But the next verse says, He is the propitiation. He's the expiation. He's the substitution for our sins. And not for our sins only. Not just for your sins, your mind, for the sins of the whole world. That's what God has done for us in Christ. And friends, it's not like, okay, the blood of Jesus covers our sin to avoid the wrath of God. It covers us up. That's Old Testament. But the New Testament teaches something very different. The New Testament teaches us that the blood of Jesus cleanses us, restores us, cleanses us of all, cleanses us of all sin. Where we become restored in the image and the full likeness of God. The news is almost too good to be true.
But just like in Secondhand Lions, the stories were so preposterous, you couldn't believe them, but you find out at the end of the movie, they were all true. Those old uncles really lived. It's true. It's what you learned as a child, or maybe you're learning now. John wants you to know. The Scriptures want you to know. I want you to know that it's true. Jesus Christ really came and lived and taught and loved and healed and died and is raised from the dead. And what he was doing then, he is still doing today. What he has done for people, he will do for you. All we got to do is come clean. Confess and receive the mercy, the grace, the cleansing of God.